Hey everyone, this is a very different episode than previous episodes that I've done on this podcast. It covers some extremely disturbing and difficult topics, ranging from suicide, prison terms, pedophilia. So if any of those topics are of concern to you, or topics you would rather avoid, I would highly encourage to skip this episode, as this will be a very candid conversation about what I perceive to be a very tragic story. I also want to make very clear that this is intended to just be the retelling of one side of this story. I have made sure that there are no criminal cases pending in regards to anything being discussed here. I am not liable nor responsible for keeping track of civil suits. What I want to make sure is that there are no criminal charges, pending cases, etc. This is a very powerful story. It's a very interesting story. I highly encourage you to listen to all three parts. I have done my best to talk as little as possible and to just hear what Trey has to say. Again, this is his side of the story on events that have happened over the last two years. Also, if you are suffering from suicidal thoughts or any other crisis, please call the national hotline. You can do that by calling or texting the numbers 988 on your cell phone. Again, if you have any of those thoughts, any of those issues, any crisis in your life that you are considering taking some sort of action along those lines, please, for the love of everything, call 988. Without any further ado, here's the episode. Part three, we've uh, had as one interesting journey up to this point. So, Trey, what, you know, what's what's the next next step in, in this adventure, as, as we might call yeah. it? Well, you got to call it that, man. It's laugh, look, I laugh at it. But uh, I think I, I'm still unfolding, still in the process. I do know my one prayer to this whole thing, I, I believe there's a purpose in it. And my whole prayer and hope was that, you know, God, don't let this be just about me and my story. And, you know, woe is Trey Burns. It was about, hey, let me use this as good for others and as a voice for others and as a platform for others that may not have those opportunities. And so he's been faithful there in providing those relationships. I've walked now seven different dads since I got cleared last year in March. I've walked beside seven dads in very similar situations. Actually, I'm heading to court next week with one. Mm. Uh, married 20 years, five kids, no priors, no history. Wife accused, just decides to accuse him out of nowhere while at the same time seeing someone else. Mm. So he's been cut off. I've been walking away. He's been gotten some visitation back now, but just one accusation with no evidence and, and dads are getting cut off from their children. And it's very sad. So that's kind of the, the overarching purpose behind it, helping dads walk through these false accusations 
and just to stand firm because, you know, all of a sudden your world, and if there's a divorce couple with it, like there was in my case, your whole, the whole vision for your life is changed in an instant. And right. it takes a lot of, it takes months, took months for me to fully grasp that. Took my lawyers telling me, hey man, you're getting a divorce. Like you, the custody of your children hang in the balance of you being mentally and emotionally present to walk lawyers through things. But at the same time, your whole life has been wrecked and shattered. So you're having to, it's just this really sublime state of mind and emotions you're in. And I was in it for about two years. And I think when you're in, legal mode where every word, every text, every interaction will not likely will, but will be used against you when you're dealing with a, a high conflict personality as my counselors called them, you know, high conflict spouses, so to speak um, on top of when there is a detective in my scenario and investigators for the department of services that have already appeared to have determined I was guilty. So every thing I give them will somehow be used to prove that predetermined you know, um, outcome. And so if it's just like this, not, you can't be yourself. You feel like you're always being watched. You assume everything you post every, I mean, every, even every, I mean, even text messages with friends of mine who I've trusted all of a sudden I'm like reserved right. with what do I put in a text message? Uh, because people can, I'm just, there are some master manipulators out there that can, get people to do what they want. And so it really opened my eyes to, because as a Christian, as a, you, you know, someone who believes the Bible, you, it talks about, even if you're not a Christian, but you, you see these movies, you read the Bible, you hear these stories of just pure unadulterated evil and how there is no logic in them. There is no reason in them. And I thankfully was raised in a, a great home, kind of a sheltered home, never experienced any of that, never experienced mental illness, never experienced grievous injustice. And now all of a sudden, um, hearing these stories, I'm reading you know, things about injustice and you know unrighteousness. And it's like, ah, okay. It's one thing to read about them and hear about them. Then you walk through them and experience them on a whole other level. And so there is right now, I think that, you know, whatever, however you want to phrase it, I believe my spiritual sense, there's like a, there's a war on fatherhood right now. I think when you can cut the dads out and again, dads have not done a service necessarily, you know, dads are not perfect, but I believe everything flows from the family. I think if you have a healthy family, no, everything is perfect, but I think all issues, my dad was an educator. My granddad was a public educator. I was a youth pastor for a while. Most of the issues that people work through stem from the home. And I think if all of a sudden you start cutting the men out, cutting the dads out and giving full uh, rights and custody to the moms, 81.2% of the time in family court, which is a staggering statistic. So the question is, do we believe that 81.2% of dads are deadbeats or might there be something else going on here? You know, might there be some um, things that started in good places back in the 70s, 60s and 70s now has in a different world still these ancient laws, you know, should we reevaluate those? So, and my, my, and this is all just localized dads. This is just like my area and that I've walked dads through the same process and whether it's uh, and the underlying factor, and this is a, seems to be shared experience. And I don't say this lightly because I'm not the guy to come out and just, you know, start pointing fingers at organizations or systems. But, you know, in South Carolina, the department of social services, and I don't know what it is called. The, the 
the child protective custody, whatever that is in every state, is just an abysmal failure. It's I think is in a lot of situations, the situations that I've been alluded to, they can do more harm to children than good because they start giving weight to these false accusations. And all of a sudden they're interviewing these children at two and three and four years old, asking them questions they should never be asked all because one parent goes off the rails and decides to make this accusation. I think, you know, the burden of proof used to be on the accuser. Now it's on the accused. So let, I me, have any, yeah. let, let me ask you this. So, yep. you know, one of the things that I struggle with in this discussion in general and our societal issues is, and when somebody accuses someone of something as heinous as, for example, molesting a child or beating their spouse or, you know, rape or whatever, I mean, enter a horrible thing here. My initial reaction is going to be, holy crap, I can't believe this person did that. Because it's such an extreme thing for somebody, like in my brain, the way I think, and I, the way I think most rational people think, is that is so horrible to accuse somebody of. There's no way in hell you you don't, this at least happened to you, and you think this person, now you might be you might be pinning the wrong person on it for whatever, for whatever, but like this happened to you and you think you're pinning the right, like you're accusing the right person of it. That's, that's how my brain works. Now, obviously there are false accusations and all those categories within our society. That's, that, that, that's without dispute that there is a track record of that. Now, also there are people who are found guilty of it and who actually did it. You know, there's both, both. So to me, as I'm listening to your story, but again, as someone who's disconnected from all these other stories, without me sitting down and getting to know every single person and, and um, listening in detail and going Magnum PI and finding a million different things about it and, you know, ignoring my own family for, for the sake of somebody else's family to find out, like, how do you, how do you know who, how, how, how do you know you can, you can trust when somebody's saying I'm being accused of something I didn't do the same way. How can you trust somebody when there's, when they're accusing somebody of something, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's this weird balance. And I agree with you. You want, you know, government institutions in general, aren't, you know, the best, uh, most efficient places on earth <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Um, and there's also a lot of emotion, especially when it comes to these family situations where people, people you know people are saying things and then also there are just some crappy people out there i mean look there's some horrible horrible men both you and i know there's also some horrible horrible women you and i know yes. okay like this this isn't like a xy chromosome and you're exempt yep. <laughs> you know, from from a specific and, trait so and a friend of mine's put it pretty succinctly um but you know men and women tend to have similar characteristics you know we'll, yeah, there's exceptions to every obviously rule and generalization, but I think, you know, men, when they commit heinous acts, it's pretty just blunt, straight to the point. It's going to be a physical act of violence or whatever that may be. And I think women on the opposite spectrum, it's going to be more manipulative type gossip, slander type act of violence. It's like what I've seen, because I'm the same, I'm in the same world now, seeing it a little bit differently. And Anytime an accusation is brought out, especially, you know, against a celebrity, for example, it is immediately 
drawn to the headlines. And if you I just kind of started reading that, this is how I have, this is how I wade through that. Cause I'm, I'm with you there. Um, I don't want to be the guy now that's thinking everyone's innocent because that's not true. But I think what I've learned is the way the accused accuser, sorry, goes about it says a lot about, you know, the weight I'll give something. And I think, I think the first thing I always wait till it plays out, you know, the whole, I think Deshaun Watson's a great example. We're all very aware of if you watch, you know, been in tune. And so you, you get the headlines, you get all the emotional stirring, and then you kind of, everyone wants to, the court of public opinion. And again, I'm not saying he did or didn't do it, but, you know, when two different, you've got 31 accusations, for example, I think is what it amounted to. And, but two different grand juries never you know, declined to charge him, like two different grand juries. It's like, you kind of step back and it's like, on one side, you've got, oh my gosh, 31 accusations. He's got to be guilty of one of those. On the second side, you've got, well, 31 accusations in a world of text messages and DMs and video and not, you know, two different grand juries didn't find anything worth pressing on. And so people can have their opinion either or. Um, but that's kind of, I've learned. And in that scenario, okay, you can look at it. The way I looked at it was all of a sudden this lawyer from Texas who is known for his antics, is known for his public appearance, gets the press riled up. And there's, you know, they don't go to it criminally first. They go for a civil suit. They want money. So that's kind of an indicator. But I think when people go public first, that is always seems to be a red flag for me because we live in a sensationalized culture. We live in a culture that, you know, the news runs with all the deaths, all the car crashes, all the accusations that gets the clicks. If you Google my name, the three major outlets in my area, the upstate of South Carolina, all ran with the accusation story. All of them. I, Channel 4, Channel 7, Fox Carolina. Not one has reached out to me to this day and all still have the story up. Mm. No no follow-up. I mean, this, this is a true story. My son, in third grade, because they, they all have Chromebooks now, which is another conversation, uh, was simply you know Googling his name with a schoolmate of Googling my name with a schoolmate of his because they're learning how to use Google. He just type in you know my name, and the article came up. Thankfully, I'd already talked to him about what happened, but he's his question now. One, he's got a friend who, you know, I got to walk through if he wants to go to this friend's house, whatever. Just the reality of parents sees somebody accused of that. That is a tough conversation to have. But two, he's like, Dad, why is that article still up if you were found innocent? That's the exact question to me. And I said, I'm not sure, son. I'd have to ask those news outlets that ran with it. I'm not sure. And I, I, I plan on contacting them here in the future. I'm working on a, my own personal kind of written piece with another organization. But all that to say, how do you navigate this? You know, I don't know. It's case by case. And I think it's exhausting to try to navigate and figure stuff out. But I try to like look at and the whole Johnny Depp situation was another very similar circumstance, you know, a lot of shared. And, but I found that people were really tuned into these big public cases. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times, cause someone has been through maybe not that certain level, but when you come to relational rifts in a marriage or just a romantic relationship, uh, that's like you said, that's where the emotions are going to be the highest. And we can relate the most, even like a family court in South Carolina, they have more, they have more uh, police or whatever they're called bailiffs in family court than they do criminal court, because that's when emotions will most likely erupt. So looking back at it, do you feel like how long, well, hold on. Well, first of all, how long were you married? 
four years. Okay. Do you feel like there were clear signs looking back now that, because you said the divorce initially caught you completely off guard. Yeah, there were signs in hindsight now. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm aware of them through counseling. Like my counselor gave me a book called uh, Dating Radar. Okay. And it talks about viewing these, they call them high conflict personalities, things that red flags to look for. Now, in her defense, I want to say like she was, I mean, she was incredible when I met her, married her, loved her. And, but there were some red flags again, not that she was always this way, but like, okay, let me just dive in there a little bit. Let me try to understand this a little bit. And so when, when stuff hit the fan by her own decisions, I mean, it just went quick. So I think in hindsight, yes. Um, but I always kind of explained it away in phases. So I think when I first started a little bit of glimpses, it was kind of, this is what, I mean, this is just kidding. This is what Bradzilla is. We're planning a wedding. This is Bradzilla. You've heard about these stories. This is it. And then we get married and she gets pregnant a month after marriage. So it's, oh, that's just what pregnancy is. And then after, oh, that's just postpartum. And then eventually you kind of, well, you can't, you know, I can't keep explaining away some of these issues. Now I believe in the covenant of marriage and uh, through thick and thin. That's why, again, I was still, still stay true to my commitment. I never wavered there, but it was clearly at, started getting year two. It was kind of, Hey, we need to address some things here. We need to mm -hmm. get some help here. And when I started doing that and kind of coming against the narrative is when all those other kind of diagnoses kind of came out in full force, like a, like really shocking. Um, and don't get me wrong, she, I mean, she had threatened divorce multiple times before, but it was always, it was for years. It was just, it was not healthy before that. I was sleeping mm -hmm. on couches before the official divorce and separation. And again, it took some men in my life to really kind of shake me awake of like, Hey man, like, yeah, marriage is hard and it's a sacrifice, but this is not what that means. And right. so when, kinda, when, yeah. when people say marriage is hard, it means you're going to have to account for the wants and needs of two people instead of just doing whatever the hell you want to do in every moment in time. Marriage is hard does not mean you're miserable 24 seven. That's not yes. what people are. That's not what people, that's why I would, I would love for people to stop saying marriage is hard. That's you're, you're misrepresenting what we're talking about here. Marriage, a functioning marriage is relatively easy. It is easier to have two people running a household and a family than one. It is easier to have two incomes than yes. one if both of you work. It yep. is easier to shop for two people for groceries than mm -hmm. one because it's relatively cheaper. It's harder in the sense that, again, you have to coordinate two people's wants, needs, um, and, and goals, etc. But for anybody listening, if you're miserable 24-7, that's not what people are talking about. That's right. And so as you know, growing up, and I love the church, still part of the church, Christian church, we don't do a good job of explaining this because we're like, marriage is hard. Just stick to your covenant. And then stuff starts hitting the fan and you're like, oh, gosh, I guess I can't really talk to anybody about this because this is you know whatever. And also you throw in the legal ramifications. I'm not saying if I get married again, maybe I will, maybe I won't. I'm open to it. I'm also open to full-time single dad life. But I also can now understand why someone would get a prenup signed after going through what I went through. Again, right. that could indicate uh, I'd like, I'm in the whole, I'm, I'm out of pocket, 140,000 and I owe an additional hundred thousand. It's like, and if we treat a business like that, in my scenario, it was no fault divorce. I mean, she, it's just like, I can't just walk out of a business contract because I feel like it and then expect you to abide by my terms and pay for my decision. 
But when you bring in the legalese of marriage, especially in South Carolina and all the laws, like that's pretty much what we allow. Hmm. And I was talking to a guy, he's been divorced a couple of times. <laughs> he said, yeah, it takes me an average of three years to recover from a divorce financially. Now, if he's been divorced multiple times, there'd be some other issues going on there, but that was still a right, good point. Right. And now me um, in dating world again, which is a whole nother wild, wild west. Um, it's like, I could see where someone would, would you know, while I'm, I'm going to work all this time, I'm retire, and all of a sudden my partner decides to walk out, whether they're in a bad mental spot or there's an emotional moment and they, whatever, I can understand that now. So I think there's a lot of, and I think that's kind of my heart too with these dads, you're walking through your divorce family court on one end. And then you've got, if you're accused in law enforcement or the department of social services against involved, you're trying to walk through legalese stuff at the same time. And if you were like me, you've never walked through that before. And a lot of these guys, this is what I learned when I was in jail. And I've learned since then, uh, whoever files the divorce papers first, well, the other partner is looking at coming up with, you know, 5,000, ish on the low side of for retainer, sometimes 2,500 or in my scenario, 15,000 retainer fee to get a lawyer or you're just out of luck. And if you throw in the criminal case and DSS will come railroad you with their incompetency and then you throw in the police, well, then you're looking at, well, let me retain a criminal lawyer because that's a different court. Right. They don't, they don't communicate to each other. And it, it's a very complex, scary, man. It's a scary world to, to navigate because you're looking at these accusations. You're looking at, you're cut off from your own children. And it's like, do I, do I, do I fight this battle where it's going to cost me this much money that I don't have? And yeah, I'll get my kids, but what can I provide for them? <laughs> right. But I'm paying off legal fees for the rest of my life. So, and these are real choices that men face every day. And that's kind of what I was, that's what I was, my eyes were open to. And I think, you know, my heart would be, and I've had this idea for a nonprofit that just doesn't feel like the right timing yet to launch it. Talk to a few board members, but, um, this idea that, you know, if a dad comes to us, for example, and has divorce papers and he does not initiate it, but he's, you know, we would never fund divorce, but he's been served divorce papers for whatever reason. And he's, he needs to come up with a retainer fee for a lawyer to just have a fighting chance for his kids. I don't know. This, this dad could have done whatever. I'm not worried about what he did, but what if we could create a nonprofit that just simply through funding, if a dad comes to us, has to appear in court in five days, needs 2,500 for a lawyer, we can have a list of approved lawyers or whatever. We're just going to get him in the door. We're just going to give him retainer fee and then dip her out. We're not trying to dictate outcomes. We're just like, well, we believe every dad deserves a fighting chance. Same for moms too, but just in my situation, it's been dads. And if they show up without a lawyer, that first hearing that dictates the entire course of you know, this custody battle. So it is a, a whole world now that I'm kind of not walking through and figuring out my role in it. And it's kind of evolving day by day. It's so interesting because you were talking about in the last episode when you were in prison, how the guys there were breaking down to you what happened because they could see through everything. And it was, it's so funny to me listening to that because the streets are ruthless and you gotta, you gotta learn some lessons quick. Otherwise you won't make it in the streets. It's, it's so funny to me. Like even looking back, I, I grew up in different environments where you did have to watch your back. Now I was never gang banging. I was never running out on the streets. I had a great family. Full disclaimer. I was uh, I was never involved in the life, but I was like, I was right parallel to that life. I, I saw a lot of people go through a lot of different things growing up in certain areas. And I remember going to college at the University of Tennessee, just being blown away by just how naive people were about the most basic stuff. Like I remember during orientation, the police had to give us this presentation on like how not to show, how not to leave things visible in your car. 
And like that was blowing people's mind. I'm like, what? That is what's blowing your mind? Dude, <laughs> it's like just, just things like that. So it's it, it, that on a much, much smaller level, obviously. But your story with the with the guys in prison, that made me think of that. I was like, these guys over here, like they read the story like a book. Yeah, it was. And I remember I was flipping a house, too. Uh, when I was going through, you know, I would do week to week custody and I was flipping a few houses just to keep my mind occupied while I don't have my kids uh, and my sanity, honestly, because I'm not going to go out and bar hopping. And I remember there was a guy, random neighbor guy. He had invited me over. We were just kind of chatting. He invited me over for a drink. We were just talking. And this guy had some street cred. You know, he was mm-hmm. very honest about that. He was just a rough dude, a rugged dude. And I, I told him like two things. And he's like, he's exactly he's like, you better be posting up in them woods because you know she's seeing someone else. And I, you know, kind of my naive, assumed the best mindset. I'm like, nah, she ain't doing that. Well, you know, up. PI later, there's not only one, there was, you know, there was, that was happening. And it's just kind of, they could see through that uh, pretty, pretty easily. And I'm just kind of walking around, just ignoring. Again, that's that kind of, for me, you know, uh, used to be a quote uh, a guy used to work with called be dangerously positive. And I agree with that attitude, but where, what I've had to learn is, yeah, be dangerously positive, but you've also, you can't be naive. You can't be blind. And when you have these 10 or 11 or 20 factors that point to something mayor there's there's a lot of signs there there's some communication early on a marriage too that i was like again okay i understand and hindsight and uh and i, I to be clear too with the problem of it you know that was it was all after she, the filing yeah. of it but again right you put those factors i don't want to i want to make sure i'm not going to be false if you do someone but yeah the factors were there to indicate okay <laughs> Yeah. For the lawyers, me as somebody who's just listening to the story, who's not involved in any way. Yeah, uh, there you no, go. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, you see, I, two years ago, I wouldn't have given that clarification, but now you right. got to, man. Right. So. Um, so as you look for, you know, as you look forward in your life, so you're still doing real estate, that's booming. You're thinking about this not for profit. You've really gone through this very traumatic event. You're going through the minefield that is dating. You're trying to pick pick the pieces back up. How do you teach your, you know, at the end of the day, your your boys did lose their mom. Yep. You know, she she's no longer here, which the sad, the really sad part of that is obviously they don't have her. Also, someone lost their life. But also there's no way for you two to reconcile. Um, at least in this life, there's there's no way for you two to figure out a way to make peace and, and be there for your kids. So how do you, how do you work through that as you move forward? That's a great question. Something I've thought about um, because, you know, the grief has come in stages and no matter how, you know, th- thankfully in my scenario, like the divorce hit, then the accusations came out, then the PR report came out and then, you know, so it's kind of like I was going through the stages of, loss of, you know, the marriage and my wife, um, before then, obviously them losing their moms, a whole different animal, Mm -hmm. but I'll never forget, man. I, I, uh, you know, I get the call from the corner on Christmas day, Christmas morning, like seven 30. And my lawyers had given me his, or my lawyer gave me his personal cell phone. It was only an emergency situation. So I never used it. Uh, I probably get billed double time for that, but, uh, First time I ever used it, I said, hey, man, sorry to bother you on Christmas morning, but I just got a call from the corner. You know, um, Haley killed herself. 
And he obviously responded immediately, called me, had his speakerphone and said with his, with his wife and not, you know, what do you, what are you feeling with your immediate thoughts? And I said, man, it, and the, that's maybe his raw emotion is relief. And I mean, he understood. And I think as I've talked to others, they understood because the state of mind she was in at the end and for my, it was affecting my children drastically. Uh, and there was no signs of getting help. I offered for a year and a half different opportunities over and over again, but there was no acknowledgement that she needed help. And so, and so since that time, my kids are fully aware of what happened. They're fully aware. My youngest isn't really my oldest, you know, when my oldest is looking at me on Christmas day and I'm like, how do I, I mean, how the hell do I explain this to my children? Right. You know, you don't really have, a, there's no book for that. It's kind of whatever comes out. And my old, my youngest was still sleeping. And I grabbed my oldest and I said, you know, mommy, mommy has died. And I remember his first, his first question was, you know, did, did somebody kill her? I was like, no, nobody. Like she took too much medicine, which mm. was, you know, I told him I never lied to him, but I also didn't want to just say, Hey, she offed herself with overdose, which is what happened. And so I, I kind of did that do, purposely. Do we, to, do we know for sure that she did it on purpose or was it an accidental overdose? Yeah, this, this could be a whole nother story. I'm not, not lying. So come to find out, uh, she had written suicide notes a month prior. Uh-huh. And certain family members and friends were aware of these notes and was never communicated. Wow. And she was still going week to week custody. This is proven evidence. This is not hearsay. Um, and so I had, I, I just found this out like six months after the suicide. I had no, obviously I would have taken measures there to protect my children and her. It was, but I, you know, and so it's, people were aware of this for a month or two beforehand. And I've since received those letters uh, through the coroner because I've still yet to receive this, you know, from other parties that now have them. So uh, apparently it was a, and, and in November of that year, she had pled guilty to the 17 acts of contempt. So I think it was all coming down on her. And again, there's my, my offer to her was, hey, get help. Like, I got the boys, go get help. Like, no one's trying to cut you off from your children. Just, clearly you need some help. And that, so the more I've learned, the more it affirmed that. Mm. So now that my kids don't have to deal with being told what to say, being told daddy did this thing to you. They're so, they were so confused, man, for so long. And I was, I always abided by the rule of law there. I can say that as far as not coaching them, not telling them mommy did this. I've still never spoken ill of her, but me and a third party counselor have walked them through this and so it was uh suicide by 900 milligrams of oxy plus another cocktail of pills um and so they oldest i said she took too much medicine kind of letting them process on their own their timing of okay it's probably intentional my oldest has been my youngest is really he was three at the time he's kind of not really worried about it he's kind of moved on life as he Mm. knows that yeah he had a mom he loves her but he kind of had pretty much his life that he's conscious of. It's just, it's just been me, my brother, and my dad. Right. And I'm my oldest, um, you know, he over, it took him a few months, but he came to the conclusion on his own, you know, mommy did this on mommy did this purposely. Yeah, buddy. We've had to walk them through there. Just, you know, she was sick in the mind. She, you know, she believed lies and then she told you all lies. And that's, and we've explained that to them. And still at the same time said, she still loved you. She still loved you as your mom. 
we still, you know, recognize her birthday. I don't go over the top, but like, you know, they stay up later. We got ice cream this past year on a school night. <laughs> so, but I think uh, what all that to say, one thing I've come to an understanding of, because I, I was like, I was debating, okay, because she's not here to defend herself. Can I talk about her or not? Is that honoring? Is that respectful or whatever? And uh, at the end of the day, like her choice to take the easy way out absolves her of that privilege. And that sucks. Um, and I'm not trying to, you know, cast blame or whatever. I'm just saying like, she, she made a decision. She's not here anymore. I have to deal with the consequences of those decisions after what I went through. Like, okay, I, that's where I got confirmation of like, okay, now you can speak about these things. Now be careful. Don't try to just tar and feather someone, but ultimately that's what happened. And we're going to talk about it. We're going to address it. And I think one thing that my kids now have been, you know, there's, at the time, it was just really strange. And again, I lost a sister when she was 23, so I get it. You, you want to always remember our loved ones in a positive light. I'm not advocating against that. I'm not advocating for speaking negatively at a funeral about someone. I'm not advocating for any of that. But in this scenario, it was kind of like, let's portray their mom as just this blah, you know, incredible, no fault, blah, 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 blah. And again, I'm not saying you do that publicly, but like try. I don't want my kids around that environment either, where it's like no acknowledgement of what happened. It's like they were told by one of their parents to lie about another parent molesting them. Like we can't just act like that didn't happen. Like we have to address these things, you know, like she chose to take her life on Christmas day where my sons will now remember that Christmas for the rest of their lives. Now we need to acknowledge that regardless of what she was going through. I understand mental illness is a, is a real thing. I'm not saying it's not. But ultimately, that's a very that was an act where a very selfish act where their Christmas now is now ruined with all of that. So we need to acknowledge these things while at the same time not you know tar and feather someone. And I don't know that line to walk. I'm not speaking as someone that's perfectly an advocate. It's attention I'm constantly trying to manage of with my kids. But thankfully, now that they've been removed from that environment and sadly removed from other family influences, uh, per their counselor's recommendations they've been able for the first time in their life, really this, this will be the first school year where they've gone a full school year without any kind of external influence. Mm. And so they can just, Hey, your teacher's here to teach them. They care about them. Dad's here to take you to school, pick you up. <laughs> y'all can play sports. Y'all can play, you know, Minecraft and, you know, write comics. Like, all, like just be boys playing in the neighborhood, doing those things. So, it's been a long, hard fought battle to kind of, this is what I, this is what I wanted for my family. Just, Hey, peace, security, stability, predictability, and let's start building our life. And so, but now it's a different life and we're finally starting to be able to build that. Um, hopefully I can take care of some of these legal fees and get whole again, possible civil case or two, but that remains to be seen. Mm. It's been an interesting journey listening. That's for sure it's a tough topic to interview because there is the push pull of, so you've defended yourself in court and you've won on that end. Now it's the court of public opinion and the other party, like you said, isn't here for that. It, it, it's been an interesting story to listen to in general. And I appreciate you sharing it. Is there, you know, is this better or worse than what you expected going in? Cause you, this is the first time you're sharing it publicly. Is there, you know, what are some of your initial thoughts after this little three-part series? Yeah, I'm excited to listen to it to myself because there's kind of some 
you start talking about things publicly and things come out that you didn't realize kind of were in there. Does, does that make sense? Or was this, this right. certain, these couple words, ah, that's what I've been trying to say for two years. <laughs> there it is. And, you know, with, with your audience, which isn't as much of a local audience, I'm excited. I'm, I'm going to, once I get the edits or you release them, I'm going to send it to some personal friends of mine. some good friends of mine just say, Hey, evaluate me here. Mm-hmm. You know, how did I do sharing the truth, helping others? You know, there's some spots where I need to clean it up a little bit. Did I say too much about Haley here? Did I say, you know, those kind of things. Because um, I know for me, I'm a default kind of uh, wearing my heart on my sleeve, but I've learned that that can be a detriment too. I don't necessarily always need to share details and I can still be truthful without sharing every detail. So uh, it's very helpful for me. I think I did learn this actually part two. I think part two is a lot easier to talk about than part one because part two is just simply, Hey, here's my jail experience. Yeah. Part one, I'm having to navigate that tension. Like you said with, okay, this is an ex-wife. This is their mom. They'll probably listen to this one day. My kids will most likely. You know, I'm keeping all these kind of, you know, 20 years down the road in mind because everything lives forever now. And I know that doing a podcast is going to live forever. Um, so I've had, and again, I, I don't expect to be perfect either. I'll probably do it. I know if I do another podcast a year from now, hey, said this, maybe I shouldn't have it. But that's part of, I'm not going to live in fear either because I believe and and I and also feel like in a way I earned this opportunity not with you just and to be able to speak about it because I, I did not speak about it for two years, even right. though I'm, I'm getting Facebook posts and threatening mess. I mean, I seriously did not at all. I kept my mouth shut and let them do their whole, you know, gossip thing. Now it's my turn. Now I have, you know, five different lawsuits later and evidence. Okay. And let me go. now it's not to get back, but it's no, the truth's going to come out now. Cause like you said, I know the, the public opinion will never be 100%. I'm fully aware of that. But there's something redemptive and something freeing to just be able to finally just tell your story. Mm-hmm. There's something like therapeutic about that that I've learned of like, okay, let me someone because you feel like no one's listening to you. The police, Department of Social Services, Family Court, no one's listening. No one's hearing. No one's understanding. It's like they're all walking around on a different planet. And finally, okay. <laughs> Let me get this out. Hmm. Well, I appreciate you sharing. I think well, uh, I think it's an interesting story. I think it's a, I think it's an unfortunate story. I wish you had never gone through it. I wish you had never gotten served those papers. I wish you had never been accused. I wish your ex-wife had never um, passed away. I wish none of it happened. But since it did, I appreciate you sharing the story because I think it's it's something that should be shared more often. Well, I hope so. Cause that's what, until I started sharing it with others one-on-one, I did not realize other people go through this because when I, when I first got served, I was like, this is, I'm the only one this is happening to, which is a lot of what, you know, injustice tries to do is isolate you and feel like you're the only one that's gone through it. No one ever's gone through this. Now there are some, you know, obviously some crazy situations, but I started talking about, the marriage issues, the DSS issues, the police issues, all of a sudden, oh man, 10 years ago. And I'm like, I had no idea. I wish I would have known. And so I'm not saying everybody's got to talk about it publicly and post things. That's different personalities, different people. But I think for me and the way God's made me, I know this is my, one of my ankles or one of my ankles, not an ankle, one of my, I think, responsibilities, honestly, to be able to share it. Well, again, I appreciate you sharing. I appreciate everybody listening. 
as always, you know, I'll have your contacts and all that stuff in the description so you can follow Trey on social media or reach out or whatever it may be. Anybody you would like for me to interview, et cetera, if you would like for me to change something about the podcast, constructive criticism, keyword constructive, don't just complain, offer a solution, et cetera. <laughs> <Yes>. And uh, <laughs> outside yep. of that, Trey, again, thanks for coming on and sharing your